Bad Family, a podcast for black sheep, bad kids, bad family. Let's get started. Hello, Maria. Hi. How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. What you doing? Um, I just did a workout before recording. I finished work and then I did a workout and it was so exhausting. My trainer Lloyd sent me this workout. You know, we're still doing virtual because of COVID. And it was like five rounds of these exercises with weights. And I was like, oh, this is going to go pretty quick. I'll just like knock this out in an hour or less. And then I'll shower and like be ready to record. And it was just the most grueling, exhausting (laughs) workout I think I've ever done. I actually said to Matt, I thought I might die. Like if I, if he hears like a a large thud, (laughs) it gets me passing out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who we? That sounds like me uh, after every recent workout I've done. I had to keep pausing because my heart was beating too quickly. You know, I haven't done weights in a while. I just do like I've been running occasionally and doing like body weight stuff, but I hadn't added additional weight and like doing the, you know, like squats and extra workout stuff with weights. I just was like, my heart was beating too fast. I was just too out of shape. I couldn't do that. (laughs) Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Lincoln. I was telling Lauren about my workout woes. Um, I'm trying to get back into working out right now. Uh, And I am out of shape as well. Who is yeah, it? I gotta be real. I haven't really done it in a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, I was talking with some girlfriends about, um, well, girlfriends, but they're also work colleagues, about making a joke about how I've gained weight in COVID and none of my work clothes will fit. And they were all like, yeah, we can't go back to work because none of our work clothes fit. And one of them <laughs> said, yeah, I've gained like 10 pounds. And then someone else was like, I've gained like the COVID-19. And I was like, damn, the COVID-19. I probably gained the COVID-19 too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. That's happening. Pretty much. I wouldn't feel too bad. Oh, I don't, I mean, I don't feel that bad. It's just yeah. like, we couldn't, we're, life is so different. How could we walk? All we do is we're at home. People are depressed. How could we walk? We're drinking more. <laughs> it doesn't get that bad. I mean, I want to run, but I really don't want to run with a mask on because with my glasses, I just can't see. It'd be like running into a fog. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have. Lincoln, I, I actually uh... run with a mask on, and you can do it. The secret is you have to tuck your glasses over the mask. Like you pull your mask up the bridge of your nose and you tuck your glasses over the mask, and then they won't fog. But oh, it, I it also. I've... You put like a band aid at the top too that can help prevent fogging up. Yeah, a band aid on top of the mask. I guess if yeah. you don't have a mask that has like a little, um, like the masks that we have, Matt's mom sewed, and they have like a little, um, like metal bendy piece at the nose top part, you know, that we can kind of shape oh. over your nose. So then I do that, and then I just put my glasses over my you know press down on the mask and then it, i don't get um air fog fogging up my glasses my glasses <laughs> did i do that did i do that my glasses <laughs> i don't know if you guys have tried this but you could just have better eyesight <laughs> 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 worked for me 
Yeah. I mean, I used to pretend I had better eyesight when I wore contacts for years. Uh-oh. Yeah, Lincoln, just get some daily contacts. Do you have the cheapies? Um, no, I haven't had contacts since, like, early high school, but I could look into getting them again. I also just don't like wearing contacts. I feel like I got used to them and I didn't feel them, but, like, now that I've worn glasses for so long, Claire, I'm sorry, I don't know why I keep wanting to say glasses. Glass. <laughs> glasses. <laughs> Um, now that I've worn glasses for so long uh, like wearing contacts feels uncomfortable and I know like different contact brands are more or less comfortable depending on your eye shape but the brand that I used to love that like my ophthalmologist recommended for me back in college no longer feels comfortable so either I'm just not used to wearing them anymore or my eye shape has grown wonky you know (laughs) different uh oh one of those two things. Well, so, shoot. Uh, well, Lauren, so so glad to have you. I feel like it's been too long. We haven't had you on this season yet. Well, I'm not offended. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad it worked out. Um, for our listeners, do you want to, you know, say a couple sentences about yourself so they can remember which sister you are? Sure. My name is Lauren. I'm number six of the eight kids. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina with my husband, William, and my two daughters. Um, I am a full-time mom right now, a, um, and I have had no linear career, and my interests are... Um, my interests are... I'd say comedy and, and um, activism. Uh-huh. You're always sending me very interesting things on social media. Yep. I'll go with those. <laughs> I like both those. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and normally we do a tell us apart segment, but I think we should skip it today because I think we have such a big, booming topic. There will just be so much to talk about. I like it. Um, so I don't know why we didn't think of talking about this earlier since it's like one of the descriptors of our podcast, but I thought today we would talk about being a black sheep and like the concept of black sheep and, you know, moments in our life, uh, or, you know, as we've seen others in our family feel like black sheep or, or seem to be black sheepish. (laughs) Yeah. So um, let's get started. I have all these different um, topical areas, but um, I, I guess I'll just start by asking you guys, um, like, what's your definition of, of black sheep? And like, when are what are moments in your life where you felt like a black sheep, you know, in the world or in our family? Uh, yeah, we should define it. Do you want to define it first and then we can... Sure. For me, it's just like um, feeling like you're not fitting in those moments in life where you feel like, uh, you know, square peg in a round hole or like um, other or just different breaking from tradition or just moments you feel like you're sticking out. Um, You know, just not like every not like everyone else or, or you just feel feel a little off I don't mean that in a bad way I don't know but just right. like a difference is that how you would define it 
Yeah, I, I I think that falls pretty much in line with how I think of it. I, yeah, basically like an outlier. For me, I've almost thought of it as like there's something that was expected of you that almost should have been innate to you, but you weren't able to <laughs> meet the expectation. And it, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess the ways that it's manifested in my life it has felt like less trivial to me and more like you know I've I've had to be like is there something wrong with me like it's felt like deeper failing because it, it's it like the things that I have um the expectations that I have not met I felt like uh I should have been able to but what were yeah. they Oh, I completely no. understand that. I think black the black sheepness can be like deep, deep mm-hmm. things with feelings, and it can also be you know trivial things. Just like how constantly I feel like people would ask us, like, "You guys are so tall. You must be basketball players, <laughs> right? You're so athletic." Yeah, and like it's almost comical. I mean, some of us are more athletic than others, but some I would say are so unathletic. It's just like comical <laughs> that someone would think they were a basketball player. All right, let's yeah. name names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> else Who is, is the most athletic? Is it me? <laughs> I think in my small career, I scored maybe four points. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can tell you that I never started on any sports team I ever played in. I think maybe on like seniors night, I I finally started a basketball game for like two minutes before the coach was like, let's switch in our real good players now. He's like, you're welcome. Okay, come off, come off, come off. Come on. Put on the long sleeve warmer uh yeah i don't know if that was too uh don't want to get too in the weeds already but yeah that's it's definitely felt like some brokenness in terms of defining it uh in my book i don't know what you and lincoln are thinking Lindsay. um to me i guess the definition of black sheep sort of changes based on the situation so sometimes I'll think of a black sheep as like someone who goes against the grain and like does things a little differently than the group that they're in. And then sometimes I'll consider a black sheep to be more of an outsider. So sometimes I'll enjoy being a black sheep and then other times I won't want to be one. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I've thought of it as like a badge of honor, but it's always a little bit, um, I don't know. Sometimes I've I've felt that and at the same time had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about it. Oh yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but it's like how as an artist or as a creative, you know, being forward thinking or being weird is something really praiseworthy uh, and admirable, but like as a teenager or someone in high school, you know, being weird is like the most opposite thing that you can imagine wanting to be unless you're, you know, wise beyond your years as a teenager. Yeah. Well, and I think especially as it relates to our family, there's a, there's the sort of dueling feelings of like wanting to, um, 
to, you know, exemplify all of our family traits, whatever they, they may be. And then also wanting to, like, stand apart and not necessarily be one one of many faceless toy of our girls. <laughs> well, we all have the same face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I get that. Um, let's identify some traits that we felt like um, seem inherent to our family that we felt we had to exemplify. The first two I can think of are like intelligence Mm-hmm. And also, um, like being hardworking, like it was unacceptable to be lazy in my mind based on like how, I mean, you could want to be lazy. I could want to be just like watching TV and doing nothing, but like, I feel like it was unaccepted. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely the former. Uh, I, I, uh, I felt more, well, yeah, definitely that like hardworking, being hardworking was something to aspire to, sure. And that it was important, you know, in our family culture. Yeah, I think both of those are ring true. Um, and then obviously being uh, uh, a good Mormon. Yeah, and everything that comes along mm. with that. Well, and we should define what that means. I would say, like, being a good Mormon is like truly believing and have a test of having a testimony of God and like the correctness of the gospel, which is like Mormon doctrine, and also the like physical um, dedication or like exemplification of those things, which would be like going to church every Sunday, um, family home evening on Mondays, which is like a family together event of like study or like seminary every single weekday morning when you went to school which was like extra church school and then testimony meetings uh like bearing your testimony to go up and give your testimony in public Mm -hmm. and always like providing service whether it be like staying late to clean up after events or yeah that's big the ones who stay around mm-hmm. you know who clean the church or who you know just a lot being of the family that was like yeah we um, got it we well a lot of service and time like and also like uh, like feeding the missionaries like mom and dad would feed the missionaries on Sunday so even after church you were then inviting church people over or like we there were just so many activities like we had young men's or young women's which when you were a teenager you had like another after school event once a week you attended to do more church related activities and and the firesides after church yeah and choir practice and and basketball practice sports <laughs> for Mormons. Yeah, but your whole life, honestly. And paying your tithing. So even young, you start paying 10% of your income to the Mormon church. So for, I'm, I wanted to like lay this out to anyone, you know, who knows very little about Mormonism, just to kind of explain what it means to be a, a, a good Mormon, because it's, it's not just about belief. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Right. Yep. It's a lot. Big time um, commitment. Else? Truly. 
Uh, what did we, we said? Intelligence. We said hardworking. Church, which is big. Um. I mean, other things we felt like we had to. We were not had to be, I guess, but like felt like we're cultural family <laughs> traits. Singing. Um. Yeah, music. <laughs> music. Yeah, music. Good singer. Right. <laughs> A good singer and a and play an instrument, be musical. Well, not so much play an instrument. It was like really just right. the one instrument. Right. Learn the piano. piano. Yeah, I felt like a black sheep about that one because not about piano. That was my own fault since I was horrible at practicing, but about singing. Um I don't feel like I'm as good um, at singing as other members of the family. And I used to think that I was, but um, then dad very clearly told me I had a choir voice. And I was like, why would he say, you know, one time he came to one of my volleyball games and I like, we talked about athleticism earlier. I like barely played, but I did sing the national anthem before the game. And he was like, good job, honey. But you'll never be as good as your mother. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. And then he was like, Mom has an incredible voice, but yeah, like it was very clear to me that I was not that good. So like I had a beautiful voice blended with other better voices. <laughs> it felt kind of nice in a way that he was like, You could be part of a choir. <laughs> you were a choir. Yeah, I, guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But yeah, still hurt still hurtful. Um, those are the big ones, I feel. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, I think those are the big ones I can think of as well. I mean, there were some, there's like a lot of family traits. I don't know if we emphasize them that much, but that are sort of go hand in hand with Mormonism, like right. kindness and charity. and Yeah, I feel like being willing thrift. to like, to drop everything and help somebody is kind of, you know. Yeah, like an expansive kindness right. part of heritage. Right. hmm So let's talk more about how we felt in any of these, you know, categories or even additional categories, how any of us ever felt like um, black sheep. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can talk for days. <laughs> No. <laughs> well, I mean, we should probably address that, like, y- this podcast, Bad Family, like, to some extent, you probably started this because you wanted an outlet, right? I mean, the name itself is, like, we're not the good ones, we're the, yeah, you know, yeah. we're the bad ones. Yeah, I would say most of my feelings of uh, black sheep, sheepiness are, you know related to uh no longer practicing mormonism yeah i would say too for me like it was an identity crisis but also i mean the name bad family is ironic in its way because obviously we all it's clear reading between the lines how deeply we all love our family but at the same time um feeling other or you know not a part of it or 
I don't know, just somehow out of it, leaving Mormonism when Mormonism is the defining thread of your family. It has made me feel very bad, like how I feel like other family members sort of don't want, you know, I don't know. Like, for example, when I had our cousin Jonette came to visit and, you know, I love Jonette so much and and I was so happy catching up with her, but she brought her daughter Alice and like, for some reason that gave me deep anxiety. Like I was worried about if I needed to like filter myself or information about my life because I was worried Jonette wouldn't want me to be a bad example for Alice. And that's totally my own, you know, like hangups. She didn't get those vibes. Bad. Did you get those vibes from her or? No, not at all. I mean, she was like, no, we've, you know, taught our kids, you know, that it's healthy to see all different perspectives, you know, about how we live. She was so gracious, but I think just for myself, I was like, (laughs) yeah, like, was uncomfortable at first where I should have been more comfortable and it has to do with that like good kid bad kid dichotomy mm-hmm. yeah I mean do y'all speak to that more <clears throat> I obviously have been uh, more active more recently yeah uh, as far as church so there's been that uh But you know, I have my own. I have my own issues. But um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've talked about this to some extent already on the podcast. But uh, I felt it a little bit. I mean, it's this is maybe going to sound like um, just like humble bragging. But when I didn't get into BYU because I messed up the church part of the application and then ended up going to stanford i didn't know you didn't get in well i didn't i well yeah i didn't get in and then before i was accepted to stanford mom was like what the and she called the byu (laughs) admissions office and she was like look at her test scores look at her sat scores are you kidding and they were like, oh, yeah, She's yeah. She's going full Karen. <laughs> Pretty much. Full Mormon <laughs> And they were like, oh, yeah. My daughter bleeds BYU <laughs> well, they blue. they were like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she can come winter semester, but she'll have to just, like, wait out. She won't be able to come for fall semester. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And then I got into Stanford, and it ended up working out. But um, going there instead of going to BYU was definitely... A, a form a sort of black sheep experience because I had kind of always assumed that I would go to BYU and that's why um, going to Stanford was kind of a never in the plan <laughs> and I think it's more like I'm gonna call that like a golden sheep <laughs> 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 a little back door bag there <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Well, like, like, um, yeah. like the phrase hope of the family may have been tossed <laughs> right, but then I <laughs> I mean I kind of I kind of nuked that by you know using my religion at school and then like majoring in liberal arts when I had sort of talked about becoming a doctor <laughs> I was like you should be a neurosurgeon uh, never mind <laughs> <laughs> oh dang i'm the neurosurgeon stage i very briefly talked about it there was a brief <laughs> period of time when dad was sending me all kinds of like you know 
blogs and news articles whenever he read something about like somebody making a big discovery in tech he was like i always wished my daughters would do one of this do one of these. Like, okay. <laughs> Dad tried to get me into like the fossil fuel industry right before I left. He was like, "Oh like, no!" This thing, and you would not believe the money they are. Uh, well, we would remember... <laughs> completely corrupt, but go on. No, but I remember Lincoln when you were working at CVS Pharmacy. Like everyone was like, "He's gonna be a pharmacist." Like they were so excited. Yeah, I mean, like. <laughs> I thought that I was. I I enjoyed the pharmacy work, um, but I don't know. My heart wasn't it, and the people were really rude because everyone is a dick to the people who work in the pharmacy. And I I tried doing bio in um, college, and I just hated it. So oh I yeah, to- me too. <laughs> I did one quarter of, oh no, maybe two quarters of human biology as a major. And I like went in for the exam. There was a calculator section. And when I got there, I realized that I had forgotten my calculator. And I was like, oh no. And then it turned out I got (laughs) to the calculator section and only had like five minutes left. So I just walked out of that exam and was like, well, I'm changing my major. Yeah, you like I have to now. <laughs> uh, That's yeah. funny. Well, uh, I don't know if this like happened to Lindsay and Lincoln because you were the youngest, but I remember when we were little kids, like we used to play this, you know, in co- in quotation marks game where dad would line us up. So it would be like Jamie, me, Megan maybe Lauren, maybe not, but he would like point to us and he would be like, doctor, lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Really healthy stuff. Yeah, Yeah, just really healthy stuff. And it, it, (laughs) I really think it had nothing to do with us. It had to do with the fact that both mom and dad dropped out of college and struggled and like they didn't want that for us. So education was so highly emphasized in our family. Mm -hmm. Like it was all about like like American dream, you know, like picking yourself up by your bootstraps and all of us kids like we're expected to, you know, get a good education to make better of ourselves, which I think it was so devastating to our parents when we all majored in liberal <laughs> arts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The irony. The and the tragedy. <laughs> No, I actually have a memory of driving somewhere with Uncle Jimmy. Maybe I can't remember if it was like after the summer and we were driving back to BYU or what was happening. But I remember he was like deeply trying to convince me to change my major from American studies. He kept he like he was basically it wasn't even like a fun conversation. It was like a lecture where he was like, I only wish you could see if you would change your major to business or economics. Yeah, he told me, he was like, you could get an MBA. I, I could see you doing that. I was like, okay. <laughs> Not doing well, it. in a way, though, I love that our parents, even though they weren't happy, you know, we got to choose our own majors, where I don't know this for a fact, but I'm, I kind of think, or I'm pretty sure 
that maybe like Chelsea and Katie, our cousins, felt like they had limited choices. Like they were both nurses. And I seem to remember them being like, oh, yeah, we had to be nurses, you know, or like we just had a limited number of, of majors their parents would really find acceptable. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I don't what know. Is, yeah. That's I don't know what. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know what Hadley majored in, but I, I, I remember hearing that in one ear. So maybe that was just family gossip. I don't remember that, but that that's that would. Mm, I was I just kind of always assumed that it was more that they were, um, you know, it was more about being able to fulfill that role of uh educated but i'm going to be at home Mm. you know but i don't know if that's i don't know i don't know there's like a lot of flexibility you can right if you're a nurse right yeah that'd be something uh bring them on get them to talk about it (laughs) no (laughs) more family uh, one thing I just thought of that made me feel like a black sheep was um, I had wanted to when I I mean, I didn't apply to that many schools, uh, mostly church schools. But when I got my rejection letter from BYU Hawaii first, because I didn't know what yet whether I'd gotten into Provo, but I got that BYU Hawaii rejection letter and I was like, that seals it for me. <laughs> Not good enough. <laughs> Not Polynesian enough. Do oh, go there. Damn. Even though it doesn't really mean anything. But yeah, that's another way that I felt like mm, outlier. I didn't know I think that. That's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's pretty common like, for most uh, biracial people. I didn't get into Provo or Idaho, but I got into Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I know. I thought you said that, that part of the reason you didn't get into Provo was because there was a part on the application where you had to like talk about why you wanted to go to BYU, and you said that your answer was like kind of tepid. That's probably like a factor. I don't remember exactly why I didn't get into BYU, but I don't think my grades were super stellar in high school. You're like, how can I say in a really, you know, engaging way because my parents want me to? (laughs) Mommy made me do it. Like, I can't just write the discount. (laughs) Chief and my parents are pushing it. (laughs) Yeah. Won't convince the board. You could just start writing like my mom and dad would be excellent candidates for your school, and then at the end, like replace all my mom and dad with like I. <laughs> Please help me make mommy and daddy proud. I mean, me proud <laughs> of me. <laughs> yeah, I get it, but I do feel like we have members of our family. Um. You know, who haven't finished college or even like, um, like I remember Aunt Mary Beth was our first aunt to get her master's. And I know like Aunt Lydia got her master's too, but I remember like that being a conversation, like a big deal, you know, like go to school, get your master's education really emphasized. And so I know that, um, I'm not, I'm not going to call anyone out, but I know that 
uh, I assume that, you know, members of our family who were very close but didn't finish their degrees, there's like some feeling of black sheepness there. Yep. I think so. I mean, I don't have a degree either. And I I feel like a black sheep in society, but I also am like hopeful that societal stigmas about the need to have a degree will sort of fade away. Yeah, honestly, I think it seems like it was a great idea for you, especially like how it's worked out. You have like no student loan debt. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. After it really, the, uh, it... you know, oh, wait economic collapse it's kind of like you know we all got these or not everybody but we were all told to get these you know undergraduate degrees because it was going to help you have a more secure financial future and guess what (laughs) that wasn't true yeah it was like a weight around your neck yeah yeah yeah, but I agree. I think the education bubble will burst because it's too expensive. People can't, uh, you know, the price to go to school keeps going up and your degree, you know, more and more gives you less and less. Right. You have that education. Like uh, when you get a degree, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for the job or field that you want to enter. There's- yeah, I would say almost never unless you're very, you know, niche things with like hands on you know, development like a doctor where not only do you do the school, but you do residency or yeah, or comp- most other jobs, you, you do your, you know, theoretical school and then the job is actually very different and you learn on the job. Yeah, medicine definitely feels like an anomaly uh, because it's such a prescribed path where you know what you're doing, basically. Um but yeah, and there's a lot more flexibility in other paths. Yeah, I hope I hope too, Lincoln, like you're saying that there'll be less there's like more emphasis on people's skills and less on test scores and and uh you know, uh, like high profile Ivy League names on your resume. Well, yeah, and like I can that. say having gone to a name brand school that going to a name brand school does not make you more intelligent than somebody who did community college there are plenty of dodos there who are just there because you know like daddy's money money. or whatever yeah well living in cambridge massachusetts i never met so many dumb harvard people in my life and this season of the bachelor (laughs) proves it there's that harvard guy bennett and he is dumb as a doornail oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah he couldn't do basic math he just basically i mean there's just like probably wads of there's probably wads of family cash where his brain should be oh my goodness well that makes me feel better (laughs) and a baby genius (laughs) no truly i know many people who like i mean nina went to northwestern and we like kind of as a joke framed our diplomas and put them in the bathroom <laughs> because <when people laughs> come over we're like that's where they belong <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah i think it's good not to take yourself too seriously and i don't i certainly don't think yeah. i'm any smarter or better than you know anyone who's <laughs> community college or didn't go to college or whatever 
life experience is as important as a four-year degree. Yeah, this is totally unrelated to black sheepness at all. But something I learned in my early 20s is I was working at a um, furniture company, like in their furniture design center. I was working at Herman Miller. But I remember meeting this this lady who was like a salesperson for the furniture. Um, and we were in Washington, D.C. So they all sold to like government agencies. It was like big sales. But she said to me, you know, if you're not too good for anything, you'll always have a job. And that just so deeply resonated with me. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm not too good to be a janitor or take out trash or, you know, work at McDonald's or like, not even maybe even like, not more than like a year ago or so I was working like seven days a week, like working at my law firm on the weekdays and like waiting tables on or doing a barista shifts on the weekend and if you're just not too good for anything you'll always have a job yeah I think there's two sides to that like I think there's there's nobility in all work but I also think that attitude can be like excuse for people to take advantage of you and pay you less than you're worth like I think this doesn't need to turn into a, a class discussion but I think that you know no, I think that's a helpful point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, you're right. You both have to know your worth, and you also have to, yeah. know, you know, work hard. Right, and I, I mean, you, you said, Lindsay, that the that you know a four year education or a four year college experience is just as valuable as somebody's life experience. And I'm not to you know everybody's experience matters, but I do still think there's you know obviously there's value in. Oh yeah, no, I'm not so. trying to take away value yeah i love my college experience but it's it doesn't make you smarter than somebody who didn't have the opportunity to do that yeah well let's keep talking about uh class have you guys ever felt black sheep yes um, because of class (laughs) at stanford a lot in middle and high school just because um i think like you all I went to Moody and I went to Enrico. So two schools that I wasn't zoned for, but I went there for IB, um, which is like a bit of a harder program that you have to test into. But because I went there, I went to school with Noah. Um, and most of the people who I went to school with typically had a lot of money and typically lived in the West End, which is the richer part of Richmond. So I couldn't really hang out with them easily. Yeah. Yeah, same. And then that was just like, yeah, I guess times 10, you know, at Stanford, where it was like, I wasn't the only kid that I knew who was like a first-gen college student who was there on need-based financial aid but a lot of my friends were either like very rich or regular (laughs) regular very rich man that's that's annoying I didn't realize that the ratios were that skewed yeah i mean 
But I mean, that I guess it shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to the same high school as Lincoln, and I definitely felt it was kind of like a pod of kids that I had classes with that were part of this gifted program, like he was saying. I didn't feel, at least with my class, that I was that, you know, I didn't feel too socioeconomically, uh, you know, beneath anybody. But I also might have prided myself on being like a thrift store uh, alternative person. So it didn't really bother me that much. But one thing that actually um, did make me feel like an outlier in the opposite direction when I was a kid there was that the fact that we were a gifted pod of kids that was set into this school of like 900 other kids that were actually zoned to go to that school that were in a, a much poorer, much more skewed black area. And it was like culturally, socioeconomically, it was like, obviously, <laughs> I had more privilege than mm. some of them. Yeah. So then it was like, wait. <laughs> you know is it like it was yeah so levels I definitely to felt... this. yeah yeah there's levels yeah that's awkward I actually didn't realize that was happening until we talked about something similar on an earlier podcast episode like how governor school used to be in in Thomas Jefferson high school and we even rotated on different bell schedules but how it was like white Asian and Indian kids at governor school and then separately, there was a whole other school mm-hmm. of primarily black kids zoned to that school. And the reason that they put, you know, combined school programs like that was to raise test scores and how like fucked up that is. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's, um, I mean, almost uh, there's kind of a pattern here, it seems like, at least for me, where I'm like. But yeah, within one group, I felt like I was maybe on the, uh, the I you know, you're less privileged, but then mm, com- in comparison, you have more. And then as a biracial person, you're like, yeah, I'm an outlier among this group, <laughs> but among the other group, maybe I fit better or have, you know, it's kind of interesting. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think of that. I've always found myself to be really adaptable, Mm. you know, like I could find what was same, same in me, no matter who I was with, but um, something niggling me that I want to point out that's a little bit, you know, off topic of black sheep is what I find so disturbing about that practice in Virginia and probably, you know, other places this was happening in America was instead of like raising the educational opportunities for the kids zoned to that school, Mm -hmm. they instead brought in kids who had had better education to just raise the test score. So it wasn't like give everyone better education. It was just like blend. So we, so like the rising tide. Like a a smoke screen, honestly. So they wouldn't look too closely at the scores of the kids who were zoned for that school. 
as an adult, that deeply bothers me. You know, like if governor school was at Thomas Jefferson, why couldn't those kids have, you know, had the opportunity to go to our same classes? You know what I mean? Or like more blended, Mm -hmm. blend, Mm -hmm. blend. You know, I don't. I didn't realize that, but that is kind of fucked. Yeah, I mean, the our education system is pretty broken. Um, I mean, and you can see evidence of like, uh certain kids being left behind at every grade level because they people don't have expectations of them uh yeah it's bleak yeah i feel like so many people are getting left behind in our country as well i guess this is getting a little dark but i just listened to a podcast while i was working out called reveal which is a podcast that i deeply enjoy even though it's heartbreaking but it's like investigative journalism revealing you know stories we may not otherwise hear and they did this episode about this Honduran girl who came across the um, border and immigrated I think in the last year of the Obama administration before Trump and how she you know got separated from her family and how she was in like correctional facilities for seven and a half years from like age 10 to age um, 17 before she got deported to Honduras and how she just sort of slipped through the cracks of the system. And even though she had family in the United States who wanted her, she never got reconnected with them because of the failure of attorneys, social workers, our government. (laughs) Yeah, that is horrific. And her. And so she never, she never, you know, like learned English, learned, you know, basic reading and writing to her age level. She just literally, I mean, like in interviews with her family, they said they felt like she was buried, like she got buried in this country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to be talking about like ways that, you know, within a family culture, within a, a school or a you know or social classes or whatever there's obviously different levels that you can feel like a black sheet but as you kind of zoom out there are like larger issues of people uh you know experiencing true outlierism yeah yeah true lonely other you know what i mean where like they should be magnified and they shouldn't slip through the cracks, but it happens. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one beautiful thing about thoughtfulness. I feel like it's healthy and helpful to reflect on your own life and your own situation and, you know, your identity, what your experiences have made you. But I always find that no matter what situation, you know, no matter where you come from, when you zoom out, there are always things that you can be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And like most people would choose their own problems and hardships over, you know, the grass on the other side. There are always people who have had it worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was interesting speaking of like gratitude. I mean, I don't know we're staying on topic anymore. <laughs> I'm not helping. Sorry. Um okay. it was just interesting this past Thanksgiving holiday. Um, you know, I feel like the movement to recognize indigenous people and like what they have suffered through around this holiday is kind of growing. 
and people are at least a little bit more aware of like the history of Thanksgiving and some putting context around the holiday. Um, and uh, what was I trying to say? Just that, you know, there's been pushback around, you know, celebrating in general, but then people are like, well, we still need to be grateful. And like, I don't know. It's just so complicated. Um, just trying to like shed uh, traditions that are harmful, but keep obviously things that are like uplifting and worthwhile. But so I'm like, what do I want to teach my girls about Thanksgiving? I think it's always interesting teaching them the mm-hmm. history. I heard on another podcast, I don't know which one, and this is not about indigenous mm-hmm. people. It was about the history of Turkey for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It was about how the turkeys that we eat today in America are not descendant from like early turkeys in, you know, the then United, you know, then whatever the land unit the United States was from Turkey. (laughs) They're not from Turkey. Is that right? No, they were. They're not from Turkey. The name Turkey was um, I can't remember something like a there was another bird called like a Turkish hen and like when the turkey was being named they thought it was from that region of the world and they were like let's call it a turkey (laughs) (laughs) but um how like turkey you know when the Spanish conquistadors came over they were the first ones to like you know capture and I don't know if they were the first but anyway they captured you know turkeys and took them back to Spain and it was like a huge hit in Europe and like <laughs> the descendants of those like European turkeys are like much closer to the turkey that we eat today. Interesting. <laughs> it was funny that you said huge hit. <laughs> I just imagine people like, what's the hot shit over there? And they're like, oh my gosh, have you heard of turkey? <laughs> yeah, yeah they were like amazing. talking about like Henry the eighth or whatever <laughs> having feasts with this turkey. <laughs> Yeah, I guess those Renaissance festivals where they have that huge turkey leg. I'm uh, drawing some. Anyone? Crickets? <laughs> no response. Drawing some lines. Making connection. Oh, that is interesting. I've actually never been to a Renaissance uh, I, I have oh, <laughs> you <Dang would>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Only once. No, that's cool. <laughs> Did you get raging drunk on me? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Now no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Lauren, I would say I think it's fascinating seeing how culture is changing. And I would say you teach your girls history you know i think every holiday learn try to learn a little bit more about the history and teach the good with the bad Mm -hmm. the things we want to celebrate the parts we don't want to celebrate so that's something interesting what about um you know obviously there was a family culture that uh uh that pressured us what for good or bad to uh conform to certain behavioral ideals so what going forward uh would y'all uh that's me conforming to my southern identity would y'all 
the what are you um can somebody I don't know, what for me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting tired I raise kids all day I'm tired um like I would say that I what I like the positive I want to take from and teach from you know like our family culture our family mm-hmm. ideals are you know the values that we learned like kindness and even charity and importance of you know family togetherness and just like love and things like that but the things that but I also want to not ignore like I I will if I ever have kids like I'll talk to them about Mormonism and like our family culture and traditions and things like that but I also want to be clear about what I value and what I don't value and why you know, like trying to like pass on lessons. Although, of course, I don't know that. I don't know how val- how um, effective it is to try to tell someone a lesson instead of them learning yeah. their own lesson. But you I know think, what I mean. Yeah, I think I would. I mean, like you said, there are many things about like our family culture that have been really good and, uh, you know, positive. It's not like I look back on our childhood and think like that was awful but I do think that um, one thing I would do differently if I were a parent would be to you know present things like if we had been given the opportunity to like form our own opinions about the church or about you know any of these things in the gospel as opposed to having them present it to us and then being like believe this This is what's good and if you don't believe this then you're wrong and you need to go and pray about it some more um i think that would have been more effective (laughs) and then like taking that person's decision as an answer and not trying to like you know sort of passive aggressively get them to change their mind at every opportunity yeah well it's just like listening better i want to introduce better like actual agency and also like shades of gray do you know what i mean and just like clarify say again and again you know what i mean like we're not always going to agree we're not always going to be happy with your choices but we'll always love you like i feel like we learned that from our parents but they never said that yeah (laughs) want us to make different choices i think we have Mm -hmm. learned that as adults that was not quick to me when i first stopped going to church (laughs) yeah same for me and it was so painful you know like i really thought like i was going to lose yeah everything you know just like making that choice was so was such a hurdle it was so brain damaging and yeah it didn't have to be yeah I'm sorry for all the ways that it has been and I completely understand why it would be I mean because I uh you know I've been considering lots of things myself (laughs) but (laughs) yeah I mean yeah, so, I mean, in that vein, are there other ways besides taking the plunge and deciding to leave the church? Are there, like, other things that you've done to help yourself accept the ways, or, the, you know, the different ways that you have felt like a black sheep? 
Do you feel like you've accepted all the ways that you have felt otherized? Yep. Made peace with them? Growing yeah. up. Sorry. For me, I think. Uh, go ahead, Lincoln. I feel like growing up. No, go ahead. Um, being a black sheep by not wanting to go to church was much more difficult because I was um, sort of constantly around people who wanted me to um, act a certain way and be a certain way. Um, and I, I always sort of felt and knew that I didn't want to be a part of the church. Bless you. Bless you. Um, so that was hard, particularly when I got to be like 16 and 17 and people from church or like Uncle Marshall would say things like, so when you headed on your mission, Lincoln? <laughs> um, and I just have to laugh it off. But now that I'm an adult, I don't feel as much anxiety about not being a member of the church because no one expects me to. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely gotten better over time. And as other people in our family have, <laughs> you know defected <laughs> stepped away <laughs> I think for me like time and communication help in terms of like getting comfortable with with being an outlier in different things like getting older and just understanding mm-hmm. so much more about life experience and just like knowing that anything that I ever feel or I'm experiencing someone else in the world has experienced before you know, like, I'm not so special that I'm having a truly unique <laughs> experience. And, like, uh, also communication. Just, like, I feel like even this podcast where we are, like, talking more openly and getting to know one another as people, I think helps us all feel more connected. But not just the podcast, like, with friends or with writing or with learning how to communicate better in friendships and other relationships like for me learning how to better express myself and communicate and listen has done a whole lot to make me feel centered in community and in the world yeah that definitely rings true um yeah i love this podcast and uh i mean i don't know who else is listening but clearly means a lot to me because I love all you people and I like uh, hearing your different thoughts and wisdom on things that you've gained from your own experiences. So, And then, yeah, I'm 32 this year, so to heck with what everybody thinks. Or so I aspire. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it feels very freeing to let go and to like be... Uh, truer the older and older you get like the truer and truer to who you feel like you really are that's been my experience anyway less pretending less less different personalities for different people and more you know exactly who I am good right yeah that's very true Uh, less concerned with um yeah, and yeah. less like willingness to allow other people to define who I am or should be. Yeah. 
for sure. Well, I think this has been a really interesting episode. I'm sure there's even more we could say about being a black oh, We didn't even dip into yeah. all my issues. I've had a lot. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, kidding. This was good. <laughs> what a ride. It was a good ride. Yeah. I think we all could talk, you know, <laughs> deeply more. We probably could have done a whole episode where we, like, share our true deep hard black sheep feelings and mm. cry <laughs> you know but I think we covered I think we covered some good stuff some personal stuff some broad stuff um, and for anyone out there our 10 listeners <laughs> <laughs> you know if you're ever feeling like a black sheep uh, we'd love to hear about it no one's ever emailed us but badfamilypodcast at gmail.com if you want to uh, give us a little shout out we'll shout you out we will tell you <laughs> no <laughs> man I'm kind of sad nobody no, ever emailed no Not never just to say hey good, good job it's probably because they all know us and so if they um <laughs> they'll just text cool episode or like <laughs> well that counts <laughs> yeah but if you want to email us please do badfamilypodcast at gmail um, anyone have any last thoughts black sheep gold sheep just <laughs> love ya just love ya just love ya love ya have a good night bye thanks for listening smell you later <laughs>